Okay, hello everybody and welcome. Wow, I am absolutely delighted to have with me today, Sab Samuel. Now, um, Sab has an alter ego called Ada HD, and um, we are gonna be talking about storytelling in libraries, specifically to help to inspire the library community about holding diverse events. So, hello and welcome. Hello. <laughs> it's lovely to be here. I'm really, I'm really happy to be here. Be really nice. I'm really excited. <laughs> well, it's amazing. I'm delighted that we are both in Wales, which is brilliant. Now, um, Sav has uh, a website which you can go to called www.dragqueenstoryhour.co.uk, and you can find loads of fantastic information, and you can even buy. Sab's two books that are on there, and I went on there and uh, did a little bit of shopping. So I'm very excited to read those books to my children. Um, okay, Sab, now before we get started, there is a question that we always ask everyone, and um, that's to do with our campaign, hashtag Intbunt Word of the Day. So what is your favourite word and why? Oh, but I've got so many words. You can't ask somebody their favourite words and just put, uh, give them. I can only choose one. That's horrible. I know. Um, uh, Especially someone that does storytelling that reads words all the time. Uh, do you know? I, I, I do. You know, I really like the word. Uh, it's not a word. It's a name. It's technically two words, but it's uh, San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah. Great place. There is no emotional attachment. I have been there, but there's no emotional attachment. There's no, uh, um, you know, LGBTQ rights attachment either, even though that is what, you know, I think it is or was deemed, uh, you know, the gay capital of the United States. Um, uh, the only reason why I like San Francisco as a word is because it's fun to say. <laughs> <laughs> It's like one of those words, San Francisco. <laughs> Actually, you're right. What a great way. And, it, you know, it's funny when you say things like that, when you think about how we say words, you know, there's, there's a lot of fun in that word. I am definitely going to think about that differently now. Okay, brilliant. So, um, first things first, we want to know a little bit more about you. This is not about... Um, your alter ego. This is about you as a person and the knowledge that you have and what you can do to inspire the library community. So what is the best thing that you have discovered in the last year? Myself. Oh, yes. Love it. Now, and who inspires you? Ooh. Um, I think there's different parts of me of what I do, say, for a living, uh, different parts of me of who I am as a person that inspires me. So there's different people that kind of are attributed to who I am as a person. Um, who inspires me in terms of uh, literary, rhyming, and poetry is Dr. Seuss. Who inspires me as a performer uh, on stage as a, a drag actor, who I think is now retired, uh, based in Brighton called The Drag With No Name. Uh, very, very, a great performer, a great performer. Um, a person who invite, uh, inspires me when it comes to queer rights, uh, someone called Marsha P. Johnson, uh, who was uh, one of the kind of the first activists when it comes to, and probably the reason, along with a couple of other people, why we have 
rights today uh, and was part of uh, the first um, the first pride protest and pride riot uh, in 1969. So uh, I think you know there's there's a bunch of people that inspire me, uh, you know, <laughs> for me as a person. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes it's never just one person because, like you said, you know, they touch so many different parts of your life. So, um, when you were young, Sav, what did you want to be? Did you want to be a drag queen loved. telling stories? I want to be loved. Oh. I want to be liked. Uh, I wanted to be accepted, maybe. Accepted was a different word for me back then. Yeah. Um, it wasn't that I wanted to be accepted. It was it as a kid to want to be accepted is quite a big thing. So it wasn't that I wanted to be accepted because you're still kind of finding yourself anyway. But I wanted, I wanted to be allowed to venture into different parts of being me. Um, I hadn't found myself. So I couldn't be accepted for what I wasn't hadn't found myself to be, but I wanted to be allowed to go into, you know, that kind of pathway of maybe, you know, I remember walking down a a, a, um, a hallway at school, realizing, oh, I'm quite camp, um, but I I didn't feel like I was allowed to go down that pathway of going. I love that, you know, I, I I wasn't allowed. So, you know, if I wanted to be anything when I was young, I wanted to be allowed to be myself. But I was, I'm already aware that you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. No, but I think, I think, <laughs> no, but I think that's the point, isn't it? Because everyone has different perspectives when they're asked different questions. And, you know, like I was reading about you earlier that you went to an all boys school. So, there's a huge amount of... Um, Where are you reading this? You are definitely somebody who works within literary and libraries and things like that because you are finding... <laughs> no, you could find out. BBC News. <laughs> it's got everything. The researcher did all the good stuff. So I just read it in there just before we chatted. But um, no, but I think that's really interesting. And, and Sab, what you say is really powerful. And while you were talking there, it just makes me think that I want to ensure that my two little girls, one that's four and the other that's about three months old, that they grow up in a world where people are accepted and they won't ever have to feel like you felt. Uh, you know, it, it breaks my heart. Um, but it's people doing what you're doing that are enabling this to happen for my children. And that's what's really important, though you have to go through all of the I could swear, but I won't because, you know, it's about storytelling and so I might get offended because I do have a terrible potty mouth. Um, but all the um, crap. Um, yeah, gosh. So, okay, I'm going to ask you one more question about you and then I'm going to ask you another question, which I think is really important that um, I really struggle with. So if you were to have dinner tonight with anybody alive or dead, who would it be? Or would they be? Five-year-old me. I'd want to sit down with five-year-old me. Because you'd want to 
I guess, feel loved and... I don't want to sit down with five-year-old me because there have been so many trials and tribulations of being a queer person, uh, so many trials and tribulations of being me that I have spent many, many hours and sleepless nights over. Um, I wouldn't want to tell myself not to worry because it's that very concern that I've had for my own safety sometimes or that very concern of how do I go about my life from this point on after what might have happened. Uh, that concern is what's driven me to safety. However, I'd want to warn myself. I've seen videos of me when I was quite young uh, dancing about, having a good old grand time, and I've wanted to go back watching these videos i've cried watching these videos as a kid looking at me as a child without a care in the world i just wanted to sit down myself and say look out buddy you've got quite a bit of a journey ahead of you to be honest um, yeah yeah in fact i remember the first time i wanted to sit down myself and that was wow wow 10 years ago i remember i know exactly what it was 10 years ago i sat down and watched a video of me um uh, I was I was five years old, and I, when I watched the video, I just cried and wanted to tell myself, I wanted to warn myself, go back in time and say, look out, buddy. So, yeah, I suppose the answer to your question, who would I want to have dinner with, would be myself when I was five. I wonder if um, you had dinner with yourself when you were five and now, and then a couple of other ages, what kind of conversations you'd be having? Because you'd obviously be... Wild. I mean, I, I, mean, I know me. Wild. Absolutely wild. <laughs> Bonkers. Not, exactly. Not. Exactly. <laughs> well, at least you know you'd have fun with yourself, you know. <laughs> You've all got the same sense of humour. <laughs> I actually, actually, you say that. I mean, if we're going quite seriously, we don't have a same sense of humour. Five-year-old me, maybe. No, 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 no. I don't mean five-year-old you. I mean, maybe like five-year-old me, five years ago. I, I went into kind of a recession on my own personality and I lost all my personality that I yeah. would have had. Potentially the personality I still should be having now was all lost by the time I, you know, I gave, you know, was 10 years old. By the time I was 15, I was yeah. completely in on myself. And it wasn't until I was able to be myself that I started regressing back into who I was. But that's a completely different question. So, <laughs> Well, five-year-old you will take a lot of inspiration from, from you now. So you would be the better person, the better part of yourself to talk to that five-year-old. The thing that gets me through the kind of trials and tribulations of being me now and what I do for a job and what for a living um, is the fact that I am actually an inspiration to five-year-olds. Yeah. It, you know, I am an inspiration. And it's weird to think now, it's really weird. I've been stopped in the street in a city I've never actually been to before in my life by people and gone, oh my God, it's you. I, the weirdest, most surreal thing I've ever had happen to me when people actually stop me and yeah. recognise me in and out of drag. Yeah. Um, uh, people ask, pe people saying they're completely, um, uh, uh, what was the word this lady used once? She was um, uh, flabbergasted or whatever it was. So she was She was like, oh my God. I was like, this is really surreal. And in the moment, you're like, oh, it's so sweet. But you go back, look back on those situations and go, oh, this is really weird. <laughs> and it's not, it's not weird. They're, they're not, they're just being really sweet. It's really lovely. Yeah, exactly. 
it's very validating, of course, but it's, it's, um, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it's very lovely. It's very lovely. But the fact that I am a role model for five-year-olds now, um, I think that says a lot personally. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I have gained a lot of, lot of little plans, uh, very quickly. Um, which I I want to say is obviously it's a compliment to me and what I do, but I also want to say I think it's more uh it's just it's just very, very, very clear that a role model for queer queer children, a role model for young queer people are so few and far between that all it takes is just even one person to do something that they become so incredibly loved by these people. So I'm just evidence that there needs to be more of me, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I, I was saying to a mum the other day, um, I bought your, because the, your other book at the moment is out of stock, but I bought your book about the two lesbian hedgehogs. Yeah. And, and, and I haven't got it yet because I only just bought it the other day. But, um, you know, my daughter has a friend in school who has two mummies. And mm-hmm. so I was thinking to myself, why have I not got any, t- why have I not got any of these books anyway? Because, you know, I'll talk to her about two mummies or two daddies or a mummy on their own or a daddy on their own or whatever. And, and it's, you know, it's all, you know, there is no normal, um, but you know, that's, that's just how it is, you know, it can be whatever. Um, but I was thinking, why has none of our books cover anything like that? So I'm really excited to be reading her, your book when it turns up. You'll be surprised. Um, 19, I think it's 1989, Thatcher put into place, Section 28. Um, and it was ordered that all all kind of queer or LGBT or homosexual uh, characters or any kind of mentions of it in schools needed to be removed, all the books that could have them. And people were ordered to go into the children's library, go into the, the, you know, the library and go and grab all these books and take them out. And there weren't any books there in the first place because, you know, queer people, you know, they've already been, they've already been eradicated and forgotten within literature. That's, that's already been happening. Yeah. You know, all you've done is written it in law. Um, that's all that's happened. You know, there was barely any books there anyway. Um, and especially when you've got, you know, really, really well-known novels that have been made into films, for example, uh, it becomes even more apparent because they're starting to, you know, they write these really great books, which the storytellings might be really lovely, but then when you put them into films, it becomes very apparent that there is actually very little diversity in these books to start yes. off with. Because once it's black and white on paper, uh, it's kind of written down. Once it goes onto screen, you've got colour, video, sound, music, all of this, you get a really clear picture on uh, how very little diversity was in that book in the first place. Um uh, and sometimes you get a clearer picture of how maybe the book is actually swayed against mm. diversity. Mm. I can think of a, a book I can think of right now off the top of my head that is a universe of books as well. So there's multiple books about this storyline. Uh, it's been made into films. It's got their own theme park. Um, and one of the first uh, characters that are to be deemed diverse uh, was an Asian called Cho Chan. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, um, I think to kind of sit there and go, oh, you know, why don't I have any 
books, you know, with these characters, because it's only recent thing that it's being allowed to happen. You know, people are starting to realize that for a very long time, I and plenty of other people who are already grown up and gone yeah. had no single fairy tale character or real life character to relate to. And yes. as I've said many times to many, many different people, a role model is like oxygen. When you don't have any oxygen, you die. Yeah. And I'm not even exaggerating. Role models are so key. If you don't have anyone you relate to, you end up being one of the many, many, many young children and actually young adults and even old adults yeah. who uh, decide to call it a day as a way of nice way of saying it um, because of the amount of stress and inner hatred they've garnered over themselves for not having a single person they can look out and go, that is somebody I relate to. So yeah, you might not have any books that have, you know, queer characters in, that's not your fault. That is the history of this planet completely hiding who I and many other people are um, within any type of media, not just books. Uh, and this doesn't just apply to LGBTQ people. This applies to culture and race. Yes. It applies to disability. Uh, yeah, this is, I mean, this has been going on for so long. Yeah. Uh, and it's only just really now that people are standing up and saying no. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> moment then apart from when we had that technical moment I wasn't lost in that moment <laughs> but I was lost in, in that moment so that leads me on to to have a uh, uh to ask you a question so what advice would you give to people like myself and others that I speak to who are scared about insulting someone um but we are inquisitive to know the answer so for example um Specifically, like, I don't have any friends that I'm aware of, because I could do, but I'm not aware. Um, I don't have any friends who um, dress in drag, um, who are drag queens. I have friends from all different backgrounds, but that's... So I, I, I don't know how to talk to you without insulting you or to how relate, relate to you, apart from us being individual human beings. So your name's also, Lily, I would just say that, um, helpfully, if I ask a question that is not the right way of asking it, Sav is going to rephrase it for me and teach us all how we should be asking certain questions. Well, I very much will. Um, <laughs> your name's Lou, isn't it? Right? Yeah. Let's let's treat me. Let's treat you asking me a question that you think might be sensitive, with me asking you your name. Um, I'm going to ask you your name. What's your name? You will say... Lou. Okay, cool. Um, let's say I'm scared that, to ask your name. So I might rephrase uh, what's your name to... So how do I... What do I call you? What, 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 how do I... And I obviously am flustered asking your name, but you will still answer me with your name is... Lou. Lou. Um... Are you insulted that I asked you your name in a slightly roundabout way? No. Uh, I'm going to call you Dave. <laughs> That's my husband. Okay. <laughs> Quite randomly. And then I didn't actually know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, 
you're, I'm, I'm going to call you Dave, and uh, you're going to come back to me and say, uh, "My name's not Dave. I'm Lou." I'll go. Oh, I'll say I'm so sorry. Uh, that was my mistake, actually. I, I don't know why. I just I'm sorry. And you're are you going to get offended by the fact I called you Dave by accident? No. Okay. I'm going to call you Dave again, though. Uh, I don't know. It depends on the person. I might ignore it, or uh, uh, and just let you carry on, or uh, or I might go. Mm, it's Lou. <laughs> and then I'm for call- you, I would say carry on. And then I'm going to call you Dave again. Oh, I'm bothered. And then I'm going to call you Dave again. <laughs> and then you go to the shop next door and you say, oh, hi, my name's Lou. Can I please buy some eggs? And they go, all right, Dave. <laughs> and then the next person walks down the street and looks at you because they think you look like a Dave. But you're going to be calling yourself Lou. Um, and you go I'm over going to lose paper. my identity soon. <laughs> you go over that whole process um, and it turns out that exact feeling you've just come you've just come to the conclusion that you are losing your identity yeah. you come to the conclusion of having a frustration to the fact that I've asked you a question but haven't listened to that question yeah. okay now let's imagine that every time someone asks you so what's your name you're having to go through now the process of thinking well my name's Lou but half expecting them to completely ignore that in the first place. Yeah. There's a, there's like a trauma in some way to being asked those questions. That's the first thing. Okay. Um, there's a second thing is that some, some of these questions are actually personal questions. They're more broad questions, which I would personally respond back to with, why don't you Google that one? Um, yeah. uh, but let's just assume most of these questions are personal. Um, there is nothing wrong with asking these questions these people do not owe you a response but if they give you a response then you have to really kind of take that on board um there is nothing wrong with accidentally calling you dave once because i I don't know i just i'm so sorry you know i apologize it's fine it's like yeah fine absolutely yeah bringing it back queer people are humans we know people make mistakes uh there are people out there who have pronouns that might not represent what some people might think those pronouns would align to and they accidentally give them the wrong pronouns and then the person will go, oh, no, it's it's that. It's not that. It's that, actually. Yeah. And if the person sits there and goes, well, I'm just going to still call you what I want to call you, of course, those people are going to get upset. Yeah. So my advice is don't be scared to insult in the first place. Don't sit there and go, oh, I'm scared. I'm scared. Because yeah. if you have the intention to insult... That's where it comes from. If you are accidentally insulting, trust me, me and everybody else knows that you're not doing it on purpose. It's very quite obvious. Yeah. Um, however, keep in mind there is that trauma, that that thing of how many people I've actually had to go through and sit there and correct them constantly how many people i've had to go back to and say actually can you please listen to me what i'm telling you um that trauma comes up when i get asked these questions or any other queer person get asked these questions and so i think lots of queer people are very dismissive they're very they're very honest i just can't be bothered with you right now i I mean i don't know you why are you asking me this question um this is the answer but whatever you know that happens a lot and i i don't blame some some people you know uh, who's the woman in the relationship gets asked to two gay men? Um, uh, what do I want to educate every person who asks me that question? 
No. <laughs> Google. Go Google yeah. that one. Um, but I, I, as a patient, an educa- educative person, would respond, I think, to every single person with, um, I think the whole point of a gay relationship is that there are, are there are only two men, there are no women. Um, so, you know, that question yes. to ask. Oh, that is so true. You see, I know, it's, and it's similar. I think yeah, a great who's the woman in the relationship? What woman? Uh, I, I always <laughs> say, asking two gay men who's the woman in the relationship is like asking two cho- uh, chopsticks which one's the fork. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, so, so the answer brilliant. to your question is uh, there's nothing that you go about in preventing insult. Um, is that if you ask a question that someone takes it back to and feels they have to educate you on, uh, be glad because you've got somebody who's willing to educate you on it. Um, the moment somebody refuses to educate you, so let's say I called you Dave and you go, as you said, you went, I just don't think I could be bothered to, to correct you. Um, that's when you need to be worried because that's when the person who's being called Dave is absolutely apathetic to you and really can't be bothered. And when you've got someone who's apathetic to your own education, to your own well-being, then you know, that's when you've lost as a person. Yeah. So um, my advice is don't be scared to insult. Uh, be prepared to be educated. And listen... And, you know, what, what an amazing exercise to make someone do because you really made me feel, even though I'm tolerant to a point, you really made me feel, okay, who is Lou anymore? Where is Lou? Like, I, I really felt like I'd lost Lou. So I think that's really, really powerful what you did. And also just to, so we had a very quick chat before we started doing this podcast and something I thought that was really interesting that you said is that you call um, your alter ego, sorry, Ada HD, I've got a terrible throat at the moment, um, a um, third person. That's how you talk about that character or that that person. So I thought that was really interesting why you do that. Uh, That's actually more for the sake of the people I'm talking to rather than myself. That's more for for their sake than me. Um, Ada is, like I am, a character. Uh, Not in the sense that, you know, uh, Percy Jackson is a character in a book. More that uh, uh, Ada is a character within her own personality. Um, uh, I think you'll find that Ada and Sab Samuel are kind of both in the same person, to be honest. Um, I chose the name Ada HD because... I found myself with a decision to create a character from scratch or to uh, expand on who I am as a person when it comes to my decision for doing drag. And I chose to, you know, do an expansion on who I am. Uh, I gave Ada all of my traits and then a boatload more um, confidence, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, and when you give yourself the opportunity to have more confidence within that kind of setting, your drag, what you find is, um, well, what you find is somebody who gives you the exact same answer when you ask me, what have I discovered in last year? And that's his myself, <laughs> you know? Um, so I talk about myself in third person when it comes to Ada more so because if I just keep talking about myself as myself, then 
how do you know if I'm talking about what I do in front of children when I perform stories or what I want to talk about as Sab Samuel, the activist. Um, so to kind of prevent a conversation between conversation about these two characters, I will call a third person. And I mean, you know, the vast majority of my life, I'm sad. Uh, but when I'm dressed as Ada and I'm talking, I will talk about, oh, um, yeah. Sab! Oh, yeah. I'll talk about Sab, Sab in the third person as well. It's yeah. not, uh, I'm not delusional anyway. I'm aware of the same person. Uh, <laughs> um, I get that. But I, I very much think uh, it's just for the sake of the people I'm talking to. Otherwise, it gets confusing. Well, so so then my my last question to you on this then. Um, this is for my own. Uh, I'm being selfish here asking this question. So when I talk to you as Sab Samuel, um, and I haven't yet asked you what your pronouns are, but let's say if you're he. And then if I talk about, and I was talking to you and you were actually at the time Ada HD, would I talk about Ada HD as she? So if I'm yeah. talking about you as Sab Samuel, you're he, but then when I talk about Ada HD, I'm saying she. But not, not mixing them up because... I'd say as a side point as i say within within the kind of the context of the conversation i think prior to you know you just said you know let's just say that i am he um uh, i think it would be better just to simply just say what are your pronouns at that point but um yeah. of which of which i would stick to he and i, I kind of go for he they i'm, I'm not gonna lie i'm really i'm really apathetic when it comes to yeah. what anyone, as long as, long as you're, if you want to call me she uh, and you're talking nicely to me, then you can call me she or you like, um, you know, um, very kind of, in fact, actually it's very agender apparently yeah. uh, when it comes to how I kind of allow people to talk to me. Um, but um, uh, no, I'd probably say uh, Ada is she, she is Ada uh, yeah. and I am him, but then I think that's different for everyone. Yeah. Because I'm still, I'm still definitely myself when I'm as Ada. Um, you know, it's very much a trans conversation here because this is more to do about how you put yourself. So that there's this whole idea that to be trans, say male to female, um you aren't female unless you dress female enough. Um, but then, you know, a female trans person doesn't owe femininity to cis people as well. Um, I don't need to look feminine for you to then call me she. Um, yeah. I don't really care about the pronouns. Um, however, I do have this thing where when I am dressed in drag, I do want to... I do want Sab Samuel to have this kind of anonymity, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, just more for the sake of professionalism in some ways. And so a way to kind of put a barrier between Sab Samuel and Ada is because obviously as Ada, I'm presenting more feminine than I am masculine and obviously vice versa. So um, again, a bit more for the sake of the people I'm talking to rather than for myself, uh, I would tell people to call me she when I'm Ada and he when I'm Sab. Yeah. If you want to talk about me as general, just say they because that's, 
much easier as well. Um, yes. So, I mean, yes, yeah, very that, true. Uh, yes. it's a complex, that's a complex question you've asked there. And I wish I could go into a bit more detail, but we'd, we'd yeah, I know, yeah. Many, yeah, many, I know. I know. It's, it's just one that I've always wondered, but I think like you said, it's, it's, it's different for different people. And so, you know, just find out from that person what they like and listen to them. Yeah. Um, so if you can listen. <laughs> um, so, okay. So tell me about storytelling and how you decided to set up Drag Queen Story Hour UK. So I suppose drag queen reading stories to children or drag, drag artists doing storytelling. It's actually been happening for a very long time. Like, yeah. very long time. I think there's a, there was this, um, uh, I want to I say it's 300 BC, um, which means that drag is older than Jesus, just letting you know. But um, 300 BC, uh, Telepides was uh, historically uh, a mind, storytelling, vivid, gender non-conforming performer. Um, you know, written within history down as probably one of the first examples of drag. Um, I also want to highlight this is the first examples of drag written in history, which is quite clear, considering at the beginning of this conversation, we've already spoken about how many queer, gender non-conforming people have just been written out of history in the first place. Yeah. So the first mention that's written and has been kept there uh, was Telestes 300 BC before. Um, you know, you've got, you've got Kabuki Theatre that's written in Drag King history uh, down as uh, something that was attempted to be banned. I think it was successfully banned at first as well uh, because it was deemed uh, too sexual for the uh, cis straight men of, uh, of Japan. Uh, Kabuki theatre done predominantly by masculine women and effeminate men. So, you know, uh, you've got Shakespearean theatre. That's been going on for a very long time, of course. It was the uh, 16th, 17th century, 1700s, isn't it? Um, uh, you know, women's empowerment is written within theatre uh, and drag itself is written within women empowerment. So, you know, you've got all of this kind of storytelling this that's all that's been written down in history you know before the bible now when it comes to drag queen story hour uh in 2015 there was a there was a drag queen that read a story in san francisco in a library um there is an organization which is a charity in the united states uh which calls themselves drag queen story hour as well uh, I mean, I'm not actually technically affiliated with them. Uh, I'm not really linked to them at all, other than by name. Um, but uh, my inspiration to kind of take this somewhere, I would say it's predominantly from my own love for literature and poetry. And stuff. I've, always write, I've always written poems as a kid. Um, and it was bound by the fact that when I was young, I sat there and, went and said to myself, I can do anything, to be honest. I once said to myself, oh, you know, I love, I love marketing. 
said no one. But um, I love marketing. Hi, hi, I love marketing. <laughs> a marketing agency. This is not my creative artwork. That is my daughter's, by the way. Just I think that's great creative artwork to be honest. If you don't want it, I'll buy it off you. <laughs> and, that, and that's and that's that's her too. And the middle one's dogs, dog paw prints. Um, I once said to myself, "Oh, I love marketing, but I'm going to be doing a degree in mathematics." And then I said, oh, wait, why don't I just do a degree in marketing and mathematics? I could do that. Uh, and I did. And I found, I found it. And that's what I went to go and do. Hello, um, amazing. I remember that moment going, oh, you know what? but I can do that. Though. I can. Uh, and so, of course, I sat down and went, oh, well, I could make a career in writing children's books and doing it in drag. Um, so. Um, you can do anything. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So. Um, that was called it was bound by if you want to say why did i choose the name drag queen story hour i mean yeah the name was inspired by drag queen story hour over in the united states but i think what they do in the united states is very much bound by you sit down and read a story whereas uh story hour uk is bound by we want to embed lgbtq and uh our five other sections we have six different sections that we read about um all based off the 2010 Equalities Act and inspired by Greenpeace as well. Mm. Um, where we embed, we, in these children's stories, we want to embed um, LGBTQ people. Uh, we want to embed brown people and uh, people of colour and all different kinds of matter. We want to get culture in their different cultures. We want to embed uh, disabled people, ADHD, uh, autistic people, deaf people. Uh, we want to throw in people who have differences, which aren't necessarily maybe a protected characteristic. But, you know, I'm very much aware that people hate their own hair colour sometimes because they get bullied about it. Um, so there's all of that I want to just embed into there, whilst also ensuring that I'm not just sitting there reading a story. I want to ensure that it's also embedded into the actual theatrics of it and make it really fun. Uh, cabaret, the drag cabaret, the cabaret culture, as it were, uh, it's very entertaining. It's always been entertaining. Why can't I uh, portray a book in the way that uh, a drag queen in a nightclub might portray a simple, stupid joke, you know? Um, so, of course, I take children's books and I make them very entertaining. Uh, um, is it? Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, yes, it is. Uh, you know? <laughs> so, um, and I would say it's very similar to pantomime. Um, I, one of the things we don't do when it comes to the pan- pantomimes have loads of 18-plus jokes. That oh, yeah, are hidden jokes. Yeah. To go over the heads of children. Yeah. There are none of those in. No, you don't do that. You don't do that for the parents that are there with the children. No, you don't need to. You don't need to. The, the, you know, you're the not there for jokes. the parents. You're there for the children. Well, actually, you'd be surprised. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm there for both, but I make sure that the material is actually for the children, and yes. at the same time, um, it's still very entertaining for the adults. It's. Uh, it's very difficult to explain. It's going to be one of those things that you have to attend to realize. So. But, um, oh, I'm definitely, I'm definitely booking in to come and see you. Um, you've got so just behind me here is um your website, and uh, as you go on there at the moment, it pops up and it shows you the official summer tour. So if you're watching this in 2023, forget it. Just go to the website, and then you'll be able to find out 
where you can see Ada um, and uh, and enjoy having a story read to you. So um, one of the things that actually when when I came across you and I can't remember how I came across you, it might have been um, you were doing something, a news feature in Wales or um, it was because I work um, in the library community it really sparked my interest. And I think it was just because I just thought you were absolutely brilliant. And I love the fact, because my daughter loves mermaids, it was the fact that you're wearing a mermaid tail. So um, what's your best memory of storytelling in libraries or in a library? I know this is not the question you've asked. Yeah, please rephrase. I want to take away the word library and just put anywhere that I've read the story. Okay. Because... Uh, there's some great stories I could tell you about, you know, to, things I've read and things I've had people comment about in a library, but it's tr- top trumped by um, one story that I've had where I've performed at a kids' club. I want to say it's 20, 2020, I want to say this was. I read stories at this kids' club and there was these two young people watching. Now, they were a little bit older than my usual age range. I want to say they're 11, which is at the top end of where I say my age range lies. Um, and they watched, and they, were, they had fun. It was great. And they both came up to me, and they said to me, we think we're bisexual, um, and we want to know when you think it'd be best for us to tell our family um and i would say this to everybody i'd say this to everybody just you know come out it gets better okay we are still in a world where you might feel you need to be closeted we're still in that world don't Mm. feel like you're not because we are we are however in that position, when you're speaking to minors, people who are 11 years old, um, you can't tell them to come out because you don't know the situation they're in. I can't give yeah. them advice on when to or when not to come out, really, um, because the last thing I want is for them to be in a position that they are not safe in. Yeah. I don't want to tell them to only come out when they feel safe because the word safe insinuates danger. I don't want to be scared of coming out either. So I have to be very clear and very concise and very specific with my words. And so my response to them at this very moment in time was, I think you should come out when you feel ready to come out. And that is specifically something that I have taught every other performer that I have uh, trained uh, for Story Hour. That is something that I've told them. Mm. You should tell a young person they should only come out when they're ready to. It's not the full advice I'd want to give. I want to give more, but there's only so much you can really advise on that, and it's quite scary. And I went away from this this evening. I remember this very, very, very clearly. It was raining. I left. I got on a coach, because in London. I got a coach from London to Cardiff, because trains were way too expensive. Um, and still, I thought oh. you were going to say weren't working. <laughs> Uh, probably as well, but I've got a coach. And I remember it was raining. I was outside. Uh, uh, the it was on the. I had my head on the glass of the coach, and I thought about these two kids, about how what could happen because once I told them, 
I think you should come out when you're ready. They said to me, okay, we're going to tell our parents tonight then. And I just thought, I thought, oh my God, these kids' lives might be changing drastically. There'll be memories created here that could affect the rest of their life. And it was scary for me. And I and they went away so full of confidence. And I, for nearly two years, you know, it's been, what's 2022 now, and it was this in 2020. Um, uh, I thought to myself, what happened, you know? Um, and I cried. I cried on the coach home thinking, what on earth is going to happen? You know, that I remember when I went through a kind of whole process of this and they're about to go through it. And again, just like I wish I could go back to when I was five years old, I kind of wish I was able to go home with them, maybe, and uh, ensure what happens is great. And uh, it was, there's so many mixed views and problems and... About three months ago, I went back to the very same venue and one of the kids were there. Mm. And they came up to me and I went, oh my goodness, me, ah, it's you! <laughs> and I went, what, um, what happened? Their family loves them. They completely mm. accepted them. They went through a whole process of nothing more than just, oh, yay, that's great. Um, I think they're both in a relationship still as well. So yes. um, I was like, ah! That's amazing. What an amazing uh, positive outcome. And I, I didn't cry, but I'm kind of crying now. <laughs> There's the tears for that moment. But like, I was like, ah! And it was so I was so excited. I was like, yeah! Um, and oh, like, and that's also, I was in drag as well. So that's also why I say that me and drag and me out of drag are the exact same person. Well, you didn't want to like, cry and drag, did you, to be fair? Because you might just do any makeup. No, I spent too long on that. So Exactly, um, exactly. And I don't buy something powder for no reason. Uh, so I, um, yeah, so I was, oh, it was such a great moment, such a great moment. And that is the best moment I think I've had. Oh, when it comes I to love it. I have read stories, had them ask me a question about when to come out. They've gone away, come out, come back. Two years later, they're in a relationship and they're having the best time of their life. Long may that continue. Life has a funny old way of, you know, throwing you curveballs and ups and downs, but that's, you know, how we get to be the people we are today. So I know that we've both got um, a hard stop and so we've got 10 minutes left. So um, I think this conversation might lead me on to another question, but how, what have you found most challenging when you're storytelling? And obviously, because this is for the library community, it's helpful when it's in libraries, but actually when you give, when you give examples like your kids club or give like any kind of example it can be put into a library perspective anyway so please don't do it just because it happened in a library but what do you what's been the most challenging for you to storytelling it's not when i'm storytelling when i'm actually there doing the storytelling there's it comes quite naturally to me, to be honest. Uh, I write the books. I remember the books. I know them by heart. Other people's yeah. books that I do, I read other people's books, not just my own. And uh, I know them off by heart. Um, you know, I've 
you know, recreated those books in a kind of like slightly more theatrical version to the point where some of the, some of the text I haven't read and some extra text I've added in myself. Um, <laughs> it's quite, you know, quite easy, quite simple. Uh, the most difficult bit is the things that come in between when I have to handle uh, stupid people who claim that they think that I am something quite sinister. Um, and um, I... I, I I feel for these people. They, they they think I've got some sort of insidious agenda, uh, and um, I hope they realise that if they are unable to tell the difference between actual um, uh, paedophilia um, and uh, a drag queen reading stories, then the person who's got an insidious uh, thought process is definitely not me. Uh, I also, I wonder, I mean, like, come on, these people must be so scared of the world. I mean, seriously, everything must be so scary. Like, I'm reading children's books, um, and one's about poo, one's about snot, and they're, like, thinking I'm trying to somehow groom, which is another word I'm absolutely sick and tired of seeing. Um, uh, they think I'm grooming these kids. Uh, into what? I mean, one of the one of the books. I keep. I have to tell them to shout the word "poo" as loud as as loud as possible. <laughs> what am I teaching them to do? I mean, anything. One of, the, one of the things I've taught them to do is to is to maybe take into account that you know some set rules in life can be broken. For example, uh, you think the set rule that you're bound to a box of gender can. Ah, that's definitely that's definitely a broken rule. Uh, along with the idea that you have to be quiet in the library, because I can tell you now, it's never quiet. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. So, I'm sure many libraries um, will say that. Yeah. <laughs> a bit the most challenging thing to do my job is, uh, I think the most challenging thing to my job is definitely the, the people who, if anything, are the reason why I do it in the first place. So. so that leads me on to another question then. How do you deal with the trolling? Because um, like when we talk about um, the situation that happened in Leeds with the library there and the library actually ends up, you didn't end up doing your um, your storytelling there. How do you, I mean, how do you deal with that? Because I think, I don't think you could ever get used to it. I think it's something that you have to deal with, which you shouldn't have to, but you do, because that's just, like you said, there's some stupid people out there. But obviously from a library's perspective, they're going to want to make sure that there's safeguarding in place for not just the people that are attending, but also the diverse acts that they're, or not acts, sorry, the diverse mm. events that they're holding. So, yeah, how do you deal with it? So, um, it's kind of like, I call it, it's a bit of like a five-step process, to be honest, when it comes to all this kind of, trolling is the first one. Trolling is when you get stupid people commenting stupid things. And if you get enough of those people, you might get one person who might start writing an article about this stupid stuff. Once you've got an article being written about it, then you start getting people who get a bit more confident and then they start hurling abuse at you, whether that's physical abuse. Um, I say physical abuse, I mean abuse where they shout at you in the streets. Um, or you get it online, you might get phone calls. I've had phone calls threatening, threatening to kill, come kill me. I've had people send pictures of guns to me. I've had people uh, threaten, uh, threaten to call the police on me. Uh, I've generally had to evacuate my building because somebody has said they, my address over the phone and that they're coming to get me now. I've moved house uh, after some of this as well. 
Uh, once you've got all of that abuse, then you start getting what I have got now at the moment. It's fear of attack. Uh, I've written down a policy set in place, uh, which is for my own sake, to be fair, but also for any other performer, um, such as, say, for example, let's say somebody runs into a library and throws a liquid on my face. First thing I want to do is ensure that there is somewhere I know exactly how to run to where there's water so I can throw water on my face just in case I've had an acid attack. I've had to write physically down to do that process. Um, I'm currently on fear of attack. Um, the fifth part is where I actually get attacked. I haven't had that technically happen yet. Um, you could argue that I have, considering the amount of people who have um, attacked me online, but I'm talking about physical harm at this moment in time. Uh, yeah, so uh, how do I handle this? Uh, by creating that five-step process, understanding where I am in that five-step process. Um, I want to reduce my mental health uh, damage as well. So I've obviously got people who um, I have looking out for these kind of trolling and these articles. And if they find something of significance, I tell them they're going to have to tell me. Otherwise, I don't have to scroll through constantly to try and find something that might be important. Um, I um, One of the things I've had to do is uh, come to terms with the fact that this is going to affect my mental health um, and that actually I'm not I'm not just an unbeatable shield you know I am a human being I will cry it will affect me and I need people to know this as well at the same time as also allowing myself to know it um, because the people out there who have not told how much something's hurting them are the people who aren't with us anymore so what's the point in me coming to the point where it ruins me as a person, I can't help anymore if that happens to me. So I need to look after myself to ensure that I can look after other people as well. Gosh, it's really frightening. Sorry about the noises. I've got this ridiculous little puppy. Um, it's really is frightening some of the things that you have to go through. And I know that when we had a chat last week, you said that you have um, uh, like resources that you give to libraries to um, to help to educate them. And if you're happy to share those resources or we can maybe just pop them into a blog post or something, because I think it will be really interesting for people to have a reference to go to, to help to, um, to have some safeguarding in place. Because I think, you know, it's not something I would have thought about as an acid attack, but, you know, there's just, you just, you just don't know with these people. And that's the thing. You know? The thing is that you do know these people. That's the well, problem. The problem is, is that I yeah. sat, I can sit here and absolutely know that these people exist. I sit here and I know the fact that these people think they are in the right as well. They're only doing what they think is right in that moment in time, um, which is the dangerous bit because yeah. they think they think they would be doing God's bidding. Yeah by throwing acid in my face. They validate that. And only just two months ago, where I live, down the road, someone got murdered for being gay. So, mm. yeah. So, like, you know, it's, it's a reality. It's a reality. Um, but at the end of the day, rather me than a young kid. So... I'll be there for field, for sure, any day. Well, listen, I know that we are at time now and um, you, you've, um, we both need to get off to other things, but do you know, it has been an absolute pleasure and delight speaking with you. 
And I want to thank you so much for talking to me. I knew I'd love this. You are, and I don't know if you like this or not. I don't really care because you are an absolute inspiration. And I absolutely cannot wait for my um, daughters. I mean, one is like, she can't even like focus halfway across the room to forget her. But I cannot wait for my daughters to meet you and to come and listen to your stories because I know they'll absolutely love them. And you are an absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Thank you so, so much. And you continue doing what you're doing. Thank you, Lou. I appreciate that. <laughs> Got me all going mad now. Thank you.